Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome again to Grace Bible Church. I'm thankful that you've all you've all joined us today. As you're aware, and Phil had made you aware, if you weren't already, we're going to have we're having our congregational meeting this afternoon. I'm looking forward to that. We intend to have these meetings on a, on a basically on an annual basis, but we didn't have one in 2020. Uh, most things kind of got shut down in 2020, as you know. But I'm always thankful to have these meetings. I'm always thankful for them because they give us time to focus on Christ's faithfulness to His church. We get to look back and see how Christ has brought us to this point and look forward to trust in what He's going to do in the future. I can personally testify I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in the life of this church, that he follows through on his promise to build his church. I can also confirm that he will protect her even when the world presses in. You know, the stories the stories that will be told on that day of redemption, you know, now we only know in part, and what we do know points to the faithfulness of Christ. We can only imagine what it'll be like to fully experience our Lord outside of this body of flesh, outside of this influence of sin. We can only imagine the stories of redemption which will be told on that glorious day. We see the stories of God's faithfulness on the pages of Scripture, but just think of the testimonies which we have never heard. Those things in the secret that we don't know. In Hebrews 11, the writer gives gives us a great cloud of witnesses who testify of the faithfulness of our Lord. And I'm certain for every one of those stories, there will be an untold number of stories that are yet to be told. I trust that many of those stories will be, of your stories, will be told on that day as well. Every one of them point back to the faithfulness of our Lord. You see, they're not our stories per se. They are stories of a faithful Savior who has determined to save us from the foundation of the world, and He worked all this after the counsel of His will to bring to pass all that He has promised. You see, church, we are a testimony of Christ's faithfulness. This church is a testimony of His faithfulness as we seek to please Him by carrying out the mission which He has given us. You know, even... In the mundane times of life, you should remember that you are a testimony of His faithfulness. You wives and mothers testify of His faithfulness as you trust in Him to submit to your husbands and raise your children or rear your children. You husbands testify of His faithfulness as you love your wives and bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You singles... Those who are not married testify of His faithfulness as you seek to live in purity before the Lord and serve Christ by serving His church. I pray that you'll keep these truths in mind as we return this morning to our Family Matters series out of Ephesians 5. I pray that you'll remember them as we proclaim the Lord's death in communion and have our congregational meeting this afternoon. So let me pray for our sermon this morning, and then I'll read the passage, and then we'll get started. As I pray, I pray, I would ask that you pray along with me. Um, 
this week has been a little bit difficult for me. I've had some some health issues going on, and so they're uh, manifesting themselves even this morning. So I just need you to pray for the Lord's strength as I as I preach this morning. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are trustworthy. You are good. Father, we can look to you and trust in your goodness, trust in your promises. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer, that we can approach your throne this morning and worship. Lord, now as we approach your word, we pray for clarity in, in your word. We pray for the Holy Spirit to give strength, to give understanding. Father, we pray for the Holy Spirit to knit our hearts together in love. That we be known in this church for our love for one another. That we be known in this church for our love for you. And may this great love manifest itself even in our families, in our marriages. May we be, may our marriages, that is, model Christ's love for the church. May we love sacrificially, as Christ loves sacrificially. May our love be sincere. Steadfast. Unmoving. May others know us by our love. In Christ's name, amen. Let me read the passage. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. I'm sorry, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all, her, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church 
because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. A couple of weeks ago, the Daily Wire ran a story comparing the Russian military ad, a Russian military ad with a current one from the U.S. military. The Russian ad featured an elite military soldier who is in obvious fighting shape. The ad depicts a young man before his recruitment and during his time in the military. It shows him as he and other elite male soldiers rise from the bed as in unison. Clearly, the Russian military intends to inspire young Russian men to become elite soldiers, to be manly, to be masculine. The American ad, on the other hand, features a girl who was raised in California by two moms. She marched for gay rights. In her words, she's been fighting for freedom from an early age. This woke ad is emblematic, as you can tell, emblematic of the far-left progressive movement which is currently working to destroy our society and our freedoms. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, life in America was completely different than it is now. Westerns were the favorite movies for most men. Guys like Clint Eastwood and John Wayne were masculine male role models. Clint Eastwood had iconic lines like, Go ahead and make my day. Or every gun makes its own tune. John Wayne was a, a tough and, and, and rough, hard-bitten cowboy who embodied masculinity. I'm sure that boys have always played with dolls, but when I was growing up, G.I. Joe and Stretch Armstrong were my favorites. Ken and Barbie were fun when my stepsisters weren't being mean to me, though. Back then, a boy could play with girls without play with girls and be uh, like one of them in some ways without being encouraged to be one of them. Everyone assumed that biology would eventually take its take us on the right path, and for most of us, it was true. Unfortunately, these things have changed. Some of some of today's heroes are nothing like John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. In researching for this introduction, I came across two men who embody all that's changed about our culture. Two men, makeup artists, James Charles and Manny Gutierrez, have millions of followers on social media. At 17, CoverGirl made James Charles their first ever cover boy. Here's the crazy part. Both men have become popular by wearing women's makeup along with gender-neutral styles. They are leading proponents of the changing idea of beauty in America. In the words of one beauty analyst, there are so many people growing up with the idea that you're not tied to the gender you're born with. Beauty is no longer what, what you're putting out as ideal beauty. Beauty can be anything, anyone, and any gender. Now, you may grow weary of me beating, beating this drum, you need to be, but you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to recognize, beloved, you need to recognize this growing threat to our nation, our churches, and I'll say it, to your family. 
Now, you probably don't spend much time thinking about men's personal care, the men's personal care industry, and frankly, I don't either. But I believe that trends in this arena are a grave indicator of the ongoing cultural collapse that we're experiencing. According to CNBC, listen to this, men are a multi-million dollar growth opportunity for the beauty industry. And men's personal care industry is expected to hit $166 billion in revenue by 2022. Some of this growth is driven by higher-end varieties of traditional men's products. The availability of these products represents an increase in the interest for body care amongst men, especially young men. When I was a kid, I know that was a long time ago, Old Spice was the pinnacle of men's self-care products. Today, product offerings are expanding by leaps and bounds. But, and while that's not all bad, at least part of this growth has been fueled by the gender-neutral products that I mentioned earlier. This gender-neutral gender madness has even made its way to the current set of superheroes. You may not be fully aware. Now, I spoke of John Wayne, and I spoke of, of Clint Eastwood. You may not be fully aware, but Marvel Comics has introduced a couple of new superheroes. I kid you not. Snowflake and Safe Space. Marvel is marketing Snowflake as the first non-binary superhero. This is another instance where truth can be passed off as satire. I mean, that seems like I'm making this up, but I'm not making it up. And this is the drivel that they're selling your kids. In my day, we had Superman and Batman. Now we have Snowflake and Safe Space. Again, you may grow tired of me beating this drum, but as Christians, we need to recognize the attack on the family and on biblical manhood and womanhood. You need to realize that your children are firmly, firmly in the crosshairs of this wicked ideology. And those who are in Christ, as those who are in Christ, we need to fight back by looking to the Spirit of God and the Word of God to guide us into all truth. We must recognize the severity of the, the attack, and we must fight back with equal vengeance. You see, this spiritual battle is one of the underlying themes of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In 6.12, he says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, you may read this letter and wonder why Paul, at the very end, would shift gears like this. But you've got to understand that he's alluded to this spiritual battle from the start of the letter. In Ephesians 1.21, he wrote that God has raised Christ and seated Him in the heavenlies far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. You see, He has been raised up above all of the angelic realm. In 2.2, he told the church, that they formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In 2.7, he says that Christians have been raised up and seated in Christ in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, he, he, we are his trophies of his grace. 
trophies that show his manifold goodness and wisdom. In 3.10, he tells them that the church reveals his manifold wisdom, which is made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, God has saved us and he has placed us in the church. We are trophies of his grace, which he makes known to the entire angelic realm, including Satan and his demonic followers. Now, in chapters 4 through 6, Paul calls for the church to walk in a manner worthy of this glorious calling in Christ. He implores the Christian to live in such a way that it brings glory to our Lord. And in Ephesians 5.22 through 6.9, he shows the, the church at Ephesus that this type of living begins in the home. As wives submit to their husbands who love their wives with a Christ-like love, in this type of home, the children obey the Lord as they seek their fathers to, see, to bring them up. In this type of home, that is, children obey their fathers in the Lord. And as the fathers seek to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Church, in a nutshell, we should be striving for our homes to look like this. Let me put it together for you. We must recognize the spiritual battle in our homes. Satan continues to attack us through that one flesh relationship between the husband and the wife. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so crucial. That's why we take so many Sundays to go through uh, the importance of marriage. Because Satan continues this attack. He's continuing this attack in your home even now. Now we find ourselves in the middle of Paul's instructions to the wives and husbands. More specifically, we're study, studying Paul's instructions to the husbands. In 5.25 we find the command. 525, if you look at your text, says, Husbands, love your wives. Men, you are commanded by our Lord to love your wives. This love indicates a desire to lead her in a way that pleases our Lord. We also see in 525, at the end of the verse, we see the first illustration of your love for your wife. You must love her sacrificially. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, we are called to sacrificially love our wives with a willingness to lay down our lives for them. This brings us to the second illustration. You must love your wives because of Christ's steadfast love. Look at your text in verse 26. It says, so that he might sanctify her. Christ loves his church with a love that sets us apart from the world. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We formerly walked according to the, course of, to the course of this world. We were living in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath, yet God showed mercy on us. He sanctified us, and He set us apart for His purposes. According to the text, He also cleanses us through the cleansing agent of the Word. He does these things, look at your text, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Many he does these things to demonstrate his steadfast love for his bride. 
In the same way, we're called to love our, lo- our wives with a steadfast love which leads them away from sin. We must be diligent to wash our wives with the word, with the intention that they may be presented with the rest of the church in all her glory. Now, picking up in verse 28, let's look at the third illustration. You must love your wives because of Christ's steadfast love. Because of Christ's steadfast love. Look at, I'm sorry, Christ's sincere love. Look at your text in verse 28. In these two verses, 28 and 29, Christ demonstrates his sincere love by first caring for his bride. By first caring for his bride. Look at verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now in verse 28, Paul argues that Husbands ought to love their own wives as they love themselves. And this should remind us of the truth found in Philippians 2.3, where Paul tells the church at Philippi to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind to regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now this starts in the one flesh relationship. This starts in the one flesh relationship of the marriage. And this principle, if we love in this way, This principle of love brings great blessing upon the marriage. It brings great blessing upon the man himself because of the one flesh relationship. Now, this blessing would come from the Lord and from her. Look back at your text. In 28, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Now, in this phrase, Paul reiterates the one flesh principle that we've been discussing from the beginning of this section. In other words, if the husband and wife are truly one flesh, then loving your wife means that you are loving yourself. Now, Paul will snuff any doubt of this line of reasoning in verse 31, where he'll quote Genesis 2. Look back at your text in verse 29, though, first. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Now, in this verse, Paul gives a general truth that people don't hate their own flesh. Now, as with any truism, there's room for exceptions. But it is true that most people love their own bodies, do we not? In my introduction, I spoke of the personal care industry. According to one article, and by 2026, $718 billion per year will be spent on beauty and personal care products. That's a whole lot of Old Spice. Clearly, Paul is correct in saying that we do love our own bodies. We don't hate our flesh. We nourish and cherish it. Now, those are interesting words. Nourish has the idea of providing food, which could also mean, and it could also mean to bring up or rear a child. One, and with this word, one gets the picture of a mother feeding and, or caring, and caring for her, her baby. Paul uses this word again in 6.4 where he speaks of bringing your children up in the discipline and in, in the instruction of the Lord. Now, this is an interesting parallel. We are, as husbands, we are called to nourish our wives in the sense that we would nourish our children. Now, 
This doesn't mean that we treat them as children, but that we care for them in the same way. Now, here's, here's how, this is the, the beautiful picture that Paul is getting at. You see, you see, we're not to treat them roughly. We're not to treat our wives harshly. But we're to te- treat them tenderly as a nursing mother treats her child. And to take this concept into even further and to show the, the beauty of this, we are to nourish our wives so that they can nourish our children. What a wonderful picture. As husbands, we are to wash our wives in the Word. And, and we are to treat them gently and nourish them with the Word of God so that they can then nourish our children. This word translated cherish means to, to warm with body heat. It's sometimes translated to melt and can, can mean to soften. It is used of a mother bird who gently brings in her little hatchlings to keep them all warm and cozy in her soft feathers. Applied to your wife, husbands, applied to your wife, it means to provide a home for warmth and security. We are to support our wives and we are to care for them and we are to do so in such a way that we will melt them or soften them. Now, I don't have to say how incredibly difficult this task is made because the world teaches women to be tough and independent, does it not? Our women are taught to stand on their own, to be tough, to have a tough exterior. But as Christian men, as believers in Christ, we must patiently melt their hearts with our love as we cherish them with our warmth. John MacArthur says much the same thing. He says this, it takes a great man, it takes a tremendous amount of spiritual leadership to soften a woman to warm a woman, to melt her down to a meek and quiet spirit, to provide a nest and security and strength and warmth, end quote. Men, we are called to a difficult task. But it is a worthwhile effort. You're commanded to, to feed your wife both physically and spiritually. You are also to to give warmth to your wife such that you melt her heart so that she is soft and receptive to the Word of God, to the truth of His Word. We we must avoid uh, treating our wives harshly. She's not one of the guys. She's not one of the guys. And when we care for for her in this way, we're caring for ourselves. That's that one flesh relationship. When we act selfishly toward our wives, we're actually hurting ourselves. When we treat our wives harshly, we're hurting our own bodies. When we fail to feed them spiritually, not only do they become malnourished, but in effect we do as well. In effect we do as well. Look back at your text in verse 29. Paul says this is how Christ loves the church. He nourishes her with the Word of God. He gives her the gifts of the Spirit to feed her and to melt our our cold hearts. I remember as a young, immature believer, I would come to church with a cold and hard heart, but by the second or third song, I was no longer struggling in the same way. And when the preacher started to preach the Word, my heart had been softened to hear the truth of His Word. Beloved, this is how our Lord loves His people. He softens us. He melts us so that we are receptive, so that our hearts are receptive to the truth of His Word. 
Men, you are called to love your wives in that same way. You're called to, to care for her just as Christ cares for the church. Look at your text in verse 30. This is true because we're members of His body. Christ loves us in this way because we are members of His body. We are in Him. We are in Christ. He demonstrates His sincere love for us by caring for us. Secondly, He demonstrates His sincere love by clinging to His bride. Look at your text in verse 31. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, clearly, Paul is quoting Genesis 2.24 here. Now, we've already seen the great truth of this verse. When we marry, we are to leave our father and mother and become one flesh with our spouse. Paul is using this as proof for his argument to love your wives as you love yourself. You see, we as husband and wife, you are one flesh. Therefore, hating your wife is the same as hating yourself. Loving her is the same as loving yourself. Now this is an amazing truth. Look at your text in verse 32. Paul writes, this mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, church, we, you should feel the tension here. I always feel the tension here when I read this, this text. The question is whether Paul is talking about the union between Christ and the church, or is he talking about the one flesh union between a man and a woman? Well, back in Ephesians 1.9, Paul spoke of the mystery of God's will which he made known to us. The mystery was that all things would be summed up in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. You see, the amazing truth, the amazing mystery here is that we are in union with Christ. We have been placed in Christ. Our very existence is bound up in Christ. According to Paul, that mystery is great. In other words, this was something hidden in God that we could never have understood through our own human understanding. Yet this mystery has been revealed by God that now you are in Christ. And in a very real way, the one flesh relationship between two believers reflects this truth. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. This truth of our union with Christ. In effect, I think Paul is marveling at the greater truth of the union between Christ and the church. And while at the same time, we must not miss how our marriages reflect this incredible uh, reality. Now, just imagine, with me just for a moment, just imagine how these truths would have been received in Paul's day. In Roman culture, wives, the wives, women, were seen as property. They were seen as property to do with as the man pleased or desired. She was meant purely for personal satisfaction. She could be cast off at any time, at any time she failed to satisfy. Just think of the impact of Paul's teaching in that pagan culture. You see, in effect, he's arguing that women, that wives are of equal value to the men. Both man and wife bear the image of God. Therefore, 
Christian husbands were to love their wives with a sacrificial, steadfast, and sincere love. See, that idea that women were of equal value was absolutely countercultural in Paul's day. It was absolutely against the grain. Now, just think of the impact of this teaching in our modern context. If the truth is told, modern society is looking more and more like Paul's pagan culture. As culture spins out of control, women are treated more and more like property. Feminists believe that freedom can be, will be found in their independence, but this couldn't be further from the truth. Our culture celebrates feminism. But here's the, here's the problem. It's the women and children who are at most risk in that atmosphere. Uh, you don't have to look any further than the ad- adult entertainment industry just for one example of how our, our culture subjugates and destroys women. That's an obvious one. It's an obvious example, but we can't miss how our world is grinding our women down in other ways. Our country encourages women that they can be anything they want to be. We, pu- we push them to become police officers, infantry soldiers, corporate executives. Take CEOs and corporate boards, for example, the pinnacle jobs of the business world. California, California is a, a leading in this. They, they require at least one female board director. Today, 33 of, five, the five, of 500 Fortune 500 companies have women CEOs. That's not a real high percentage, but it's climbing. CEOs of major corporations have notoriously difficult jobs. In the words of one CEO, he says, I can't remember my boys growing up. I can't remember them when they were young. People ask whether you have to make a choice between your family and your career. You definitely do. You can't have both. Now, this applies to all CEOs, male and female. And for all I know, this may have been a male CEO that said this. But here's the the point. Women who aspire to move up the corporate ladder are being forced to choose between their families and their careers. And in a very real way, they can't have both even if they try. Yet career is winning by a large margin even among Christians. Our culture encourages women in these ways to the detriment of the one flesh relationship, and that's the point. Our young girls aspire to be like these ultra-successful women, but they're not told the truth of the heartbreak experienced, when their body, experienced by them when their body tells them it's time to have a baby. It's time to get off of that corporate ladder, so to speak. Sadly, because they're not told this, it encourages more and more of them to forsake the biblical pattern for females. And this brings harm to them, to our families, and I would argue will ultimately destroy our culture. But God's Word offers a different reality. A reality infinitely greater than anything the world has to offer. According to to God's Word, marriage and family should be our greatest accomplishment. And that goes for male and female should be what we are striving for. 
It is through that one flesh union that we fulfill God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It is through that one flesh union that we model the reality of our union in Christ to a watching world. Now look at your text in verse 33. Paul writes, Nevertheless, each individual among you is also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. In this verse, Paul gives a simple recipe for flourishing marriages and churches. First, husbands are to love your wives. Second, wives are to respect your husbands. Beloved, it is as simple as this. If you want your marriage to flourish... I can save you a whole lot of money on marriage counseling. In your marriages, follow the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and husbands. Husbands, love your wives as yourself. Love them sacrificially. Love them with a steadfast love. Love them with a sincere love. Start loving them in these ways, and never stop. And when you sin against her, confess your sin to our Lord and ask for her forgiveness. Wives, according to Paul, respect your husbands. The word translated respect means to fear. Now, I would take this as a reverential, honoring fear. But here's what's amazing. In Paul's culture, the wives would have feared their husbands. But that fear would have come from the threat of what? From the threat of harm, because he could do anything he wanted to with her. Considering Paul's call for the husbands to love their wives, you might think that the wives would take advantage of that. In effect, Paul is saying, give honor to your husbands. Don't take advantage of his love. I hope you see the amazing picture of this union between man and woman as intended by our Lord. I pray that you will consider your own marriages. Wayne Mack says, the scripture says, in all labor there's profit. And nowhere is, there, is this more true than in the marriage relationship. Men, I pray that you will make it your aim to love your wives the way Christ loves the church. Ladies, I also pray that you will honor your husband's love for you. As they love you, that you would honor them. Church, I pray that our marriages will be Christ-centered and honoring to Christ. Our marriages are one channel by which we experience and exhibit His grace. In the words of J. Vernon McGee, when a, woman, a man and a woman give themselves to each other in, the, in an act of marital love, they can know the love of Christ as no one else can know it. In the words of Sinclair Ferguson, we should not make the mistake of thinking that marriage will provide the ultimate satisfaction for which we all hunger. To assume so would be, in, would be to, to assume so would be to make us guilty of blasphemy. Only God satisfies the hungry heart. Marriage is but one of the channels He uses to enable us to taste how deeply satisfying His thirst-quenching grace. Can be. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. praise you for your grace to us. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for each couple here who is married that we would have marriages that are honoring to you. That we would experience your grace through the one flesh relationship. Father, may our marriages model Christ in the church. May our husbands love with a sacrificial, steadfast, sincere love. May our wives submit to the husbands lovingly. May the marriages in our church be strong. So that we would exhibit what it means to follow Christ, to love one another. In Christ's name, amen.